Hello and welcome to episode 48 of The Worst Critics, where we will talk to you about the latest and sometimes not so greatest in movies, music, TV, and what have you. As always, I'm Noah Davis. I'm John Pina. And let's get straight to the news. Don't have a lot this week, but we'll get to the casting news. Nintendo has revealed the voice cast of the new Super Mario Brothers movie that is going to be... What? That is going to be Illumination Animation Studios. Uh, Chris Pratt will voice Mario. Anya Taylor-Joy as Princess Peach. Charlie Day as Luigi. Jack Black as Bowser. Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. Fred Armisen as Cranky Kong. Kevin Michael Register, uh, Kevin Michael Richardson as Kamek, Kamek. I don't know Mario characters or Mac B list Mario characters. And Charles Martinet will of course cameo in the movie. That is the original voice for just about anybody in Mario. Um, I don't really know how to respond to this piece of news because I don't know. It sounds like a joke, honestly. You know, if if you had a Tumblr post and said this is the people who are going to voice these characters, that's exactly what this would come off as. But um, I don't know. Is Chris Pratt going to do an Italian accent? You think? I just hope this is full of like these weird stereotypes and just like awful impersonations. Um, you know, you just get all of the non PC versions of all of these characters. Charlie Day's putting on this, like, ridiculous thick accent. So is Chris Pratt. There's, like, religious undertones. Like, if we can just set the mood right, I'll either laugh so hard I'll forget how shit it is, or it'll be the worst movie that's ever been made. So, you know, either way, it's a win. (laughs) What you're saying is they should have got Stanley Tucci for both Mario and Luigi. That's what I'm hearing. Correct. Correct. Exactly. You know, uh, Seth Rogen is Donkey Kong. I guess that's... Probably the one that I'm very they okay just, with. They should have just gotten the whole cast of It's Always Sunny. Yeah, they like, need to be Bowser. Luigi. Yeah, make a fucking numbnuts from AP Bio Mario. Make <laughs> D. Harrison. Make D. Uh, Princess Peach. Keep Charlie as Luigi. Yep. Uh, Frank. No, no. Yeah, Frank and Danny DeVito as Bowser. For sure. Uh, Num nuts is Donkey Kong, fucking uh, McLemurney, Mac McLemurney, whatever his name is. You could do what's the priest name? Cricket. Yeah, Cricket, Rickety Cricket, as uh, any one of those other side characters. He could be the fucking Magic uh, Koopa, which is the Kamek, or he could be Cranky Kong, or he could be Diddy Kong. I mean, he could be any number of these like little side characters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yep. And that would be a funnier, better version. Then whatever the fuck this is gonna be. Like Jack Black just gotta stop making shit. Fred he Armisen does. doesn't necessarily have to stop making shit, but why is he cranky Kong? You know what I mean? Like why is what a useless Kong, yeah. Yeah, what a useless uh like I guess use for lack of a better word of Frank yeah. Ar- or Fred Armisen. Yeah, uh I unless they're doing the whole let's reference Donkey Kong being a, the first Mario game, I do not understand what Cranky Kong has to do with this unless, you know, of course it's like, oh, well, Mario beat up the original Donkey Kong who's actually Cranky Kong, you know, yada, yada. Anyways, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of excited for Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. I can already hear it in my mind. So I don't know. I want to say I don't really get Jack Black as Bowser. It, it's weird that people are latching on to that being the one voice that they love. 
and being like, oh, Jack Black has so much range. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, voice-wise, this man has range? Because I couldn't tell you a voice acting thing he did where he wasn't just Jack Black voicing the character. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I talked enough about this. Moving on to some anime news, because I know you'll love it. Sean Bean is to play Omen Kiddo in the new St. Saya live-action movie. Uh, St. Saya is... I think in America it was dubbed the Zodiac Warriors. Came on Toonami every now and then. Uh, it's it's literally just teenagers in Zodiac armor or Zodiac themed armor. It's w- the the short story or the short of it being Sean Bean is playing an anime character. You know, uh, right? I'm into it. <laughs> you know, put Sean Bean in everything so that he can, of course, die or meet his demise because that's. That's what he does best, man. He's really good at dying. Really good at dying. Moving on, Owen Wilson. Oh, wait, sorry. Owen Wilson's casting in Haunted Mansion has apparently killed Wedding Crashers 2. It was going to be produced here this year, but they can't do it anymore. Sounds like a really convenient excuse. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. He can't be that busy in a comedy Disney movie. Well, he's got Loki season two. Oh, I forgot he's even in that at all. Yeah, so I mean, he, he's 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 busy. He's busy. I just don't know if that's that's literally the you know the reason. <laughs> I mean, he's not a director. You know what I mean? He's an actor. So right. like, even if he's in four or five scenes per episode, and we'll say eight of the twenty-five of Haunted Mansion, let's say twelve of the twenty-five in Haunted Mansion. What's that take three months to shoot? Like that leaves you six months of the year, bud. Yeah, if that, honestly. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe maybe Owen Wilson just didn't feel like it. Maybe that's it. That's actually Well, hundred percent that's it, but why is the news reading like Disney's at fault for killing Wedding Crashers hey, too? I'm just I'm just Are the Wedding Crashers fans and is that like just like a neckbeard army of ooh, we want Vince Vaughn back uncancel our Trump supporting king. <laughs> yeah, it's the same people who think swingers is way funnier than it actually is. Right. <laughs> okay. Uh moving on. We've been talking about the new Wonka musical comedy movie that's featuring Timothy Chalamet. Well, now it will be featuring Rowan Atkinson, who I'd say most American audiences know as Mr. Bean. Uh Mr. I- Bean. I really couldn't tell you what else that man has been in, and I'm sure he has a huge breadth of acting uh, roles in his long-ass career. Uh, I I don't really care to talk about this. They did confirm Olivia Coleman is going to be in Wonka. I think we talked about that a few months ago, but now it's officially confirmed. Uh, yeah, Wonka coming out late next year, I believe. And moving on, Pailu Azbek. I'm sorry, Mr. Azbek. Uh, yeah, you're... Scandinavian name is hard for me to pronounce, but Palu Azbek has joined the cast of the new Salem's Lot reboot. That is, of course, the Stephen King book that's maybe about vampires. Uh, I, I'm not actually familiar with Salem's Lot. I just know that Stephen King. I think it's about vampires. I don't know. I think it's about vampires. Moving the only on. Salem's Lot thing I know is from, um, was it Eight Mile? Sure. Sure, I don't even. That doesn't even register I mean, to me. Just the song. Oh, uh, oh, oh! Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Another day in Salem's Lot. I got to. Whatever. Yeah, totally. Eminem. If you, you fail know. me not. This may be the only opportunity that I got. 
Just do the whole, just do the whole eight mile soundtrack, please. Mom spaghetti. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you see? Oh, okay. uh, in, in in Eminem related news. Let me uh, <clears throat> let me get my no on. In uh, Eminem related news, uh, he opens up a mom spaghetti sh- uh, pasta like pop up, I guess, in Detroit. Uh, that's a no cap. Eminem did that like this week. Called Mom Spaghetti. He serves pasta to people, and they go, "You Eminem?" And he's like, "Next." Well, that was the report on this episode of Marshall Matters, uh, the new Eminem-based <laughs> nice. podcast. Nice. Moving on, Apple Films has won the rights to the new George Clooney Brad Pitt thriller written and directed by John Watts, who you may know as the director of the last two Spider-Man movie. I don't know if he's doing the third one, but he definitely he did. Is plural uh, Spider-Man? Spider-Man? Yeah, the Spider-Man movie. <laughs> I mean, I think that works. I think Spider-Man works. Uh, yeah, Homecoming and Far From Home. It is about two lone wolf fixers assigned to do the same job. I'm sure hijinks ensues, and I'm sure it's a action thriller. You know, I, you can guess. Moving on to some oh, you can. reboots and sequel news. The CW is to reboot an old sh- old 90s show, Babylon 5, with original creator Joe Michael Starsinski. Uh, I, I think that's how you say that. Babylon 5 is, I would say it's a cult classic sci-fi TV show. Uh, I, I think it's comedic in tone. I've never watched a single episode. I just, I've, I've read things on the internet about people, you know, complaining that it got canceled too soon or no one even knows what the show is. You know how it goes. Oh, Netflix. Know how it goes. Netflix has confirmed that they're making another Witcher anime movie. This will be a follow-up to, uh, uh, what's it called? Something of the Wolf, Nightmare of the Wolf. I, they don't know what it's about, or they didn't reveal what it's about, but hey, Nightmare of the Wolf is pretty sweet. Ridley Scott says he's having Gladiator 2 written as we speak. It will be his next movie after Kitbag, Kit, whatever, Kitbag, the Napoleon biopic featuring Joaquin Phoenix. I don't know how a Gladiator 2 is going to do that, or how that's going to work. Real quick, he's having... Gladiator 2 written means that he has found a screenwriter who's going to do that for him? Yes, 100%. I think that's how he does his movies now. Okay. And then he probably, like, edits the shit out of it and takes the writing credit. I'm I'm, I'm assuming that's how really Scott works these days. Uh, I I can't confirm that 100%, but it's just a guess. Uh, This might be reminiscent of old news way 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 back when i'm talking early 2000s when the original screenwriter for gladiator he was tasked or is in his contract to write a sequel to gladiator but he didn't want to do it so bad that he made one about maximus being resurrected as a world war ii general and like being in tanks and he's in the afterlife like it's set in Elysium sometimes, and then it goes to World War II, and he gets reincarnated again. So he tanked the script so hard that the studio couldn't make Gladiator 2. Uh, but now I guess that plan didn't work because we're getting a real Gladiator 2. Again, I don't know how that works since the main guy didn't make it, his son didn't make it. Uh, what's going to make this Gladiator? Money. There we go. Money will make this Gladiator 2. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tim Federal. 
Federo, Federo, the creator of High School Musical the Musical, will direct Sister Act 3 for Disney+. Plus. That was, of course, announced last December back in the D20-whatever. Yes. Yes, John. Uh, for those not viewing the screen that you can't see, uh, I raised my hand. Why the fuck are we covering High School the Musical the Musical Sister Act 3 news? Because it's, uh, it's relevant. I, I think uh, Whoopi Goldberg getting uh, another shot at a movie career. Uh, Disney is awful. Disney Plus is popular. High School the Musical or High School the Musical the Musical really wasn't no, terrible. No, no, it's High School Musical the Musical, right. not High School the Musical the Musical. That sounds right. ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't terrible, so I'm kind of excited to see what this guy does. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Sister Act 3, get over it. Whoopi Goldberg's back, baby. Moving on, Amazon has given a full series order for the boys' college-based spinoff. It will be set in a Vought Industries college-slash-superhero training facility. Uh, it will have a different tone completely, says creator. We've discussed this a little bit. Yeah. I, we, I, yeah. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, uh, uh, Eric Kripke. Kripke, the creator of The Boys, says this is going to be its own tone. It's going to try for actual college-ish like shows and try and capture that tone and not just be The Boys in college. So I'm excited to see what they do with that. Um, yeah. What? Oh, I got it. What if this is just like R-rated sky high? I'm so into that. It hurts. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I think if, if Sky High was already to begin with, that would be a classic superhero movie, but yeah. it was not. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm into it. They should get Kurt Russell back. They should get Birdie Michael, from the Nick. Michael, yeah, Michael Angarano or whatever his name is. Yeah, that guy. Totally. Uh, get everybody back. Moving on the... Oh, okay. This piece of news is something else. I just have to preface. The Eternals, the newest Marvel Disney movie, whatever, received an 18 plus rating in Russia, which is a first for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you're thinking, oh, wow, this movie has mature themes and might have blood or might have some cursing. No, 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 no. The reason being is that there is a homosexual couple in the movie and they kiss on Gross. screen. Gross. How could they? Oh my god. No Russia, it? honestly. I mean you know what I, I can't even keep that up. No, no that's this is, uh, this is stupid. Russia, that's awful. That's so stupid. We're very uh we're very progressive on this podcast, okay? Honestly, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, might be the least progressive person I know, but we're still a very progressive <laughs> podcast, all right? Uh, now officially anti-Russia. Sorry. Well, I was pretty anti-Russia. Oh, you know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know about anti-Russia. They're my comrades, okay? Oh, your comrades? Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, totally, socialism, totally. socialism better than, you know. I guess. I mean, not if it gets this Capitalist. shit, <laughs> Stupid shit like this. That's stupid, but that's not uh, everything to do with socialism. That's just idiocracy. I don't know. That's Repressive, fair. We're all headed towards like, that. Right, like fundamentalist ideals, I don't know. And actually, the last piece of news we have is an update to a previous one. Scarlett Johansson and Disney have reached a financial agreement over her suit on her royalty payment and Disney Plus streaming, you know, cutting a big chunk out of that. Uh, I assume Disney paid her some fat stacks and her and her team are happy. 
So the suit disappeared. Terms of the deal were not disclosed, but, quote, we appreciate her contributions to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and look forward to working together on a number of upcoming projects, including Disney's Tower of Terror. Thanks, Disney, for making sure that you paid her the literal bare minimum that she deserved, said that you have to sign an NDA about said deal because you can't let anyone know that we paid you the literal bare minimum that was in the initial contract when you first signed on to the project and also somehow turn Scarlett Johansson's small victory into a promotion for Tower of Terror. Yep. <laughs> Tremendous work all around, guys. Like I'm sure the lawyers are sitting there like, oh, good job, good job, Steve. Good job, Frank. The Disney PR team loves it, okay? Yeah. They, they, on the back, guys. They do their genius. job really well. I, I mean, I, I really have to say. Imagine how much money they just saved on Tower of Terror marketing by paying her her initial contract deal. Yeah. Crazy. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yep. Like, guys, we just saved $10 million. <laughs> like, <laughs> easy. <laughs> uh, that'll actually do it for the news. It's a short one if we want to move on to what did you do this last Whoa. few weeks, John? Bro, you're skipping the best piece of news, which is the albums, okay? It's oh, my, I'm my sorry. Story. Listen, you forgot the last week. I forget this week. All right. Not what, the what last album? week. What are you talking about? We've had a weird whole thing where I haven't even been here, and you've been doing it on your own. Don't do not do that to me, okay? All right. Give us the albums, John. Uh, Well, there's really only two oh, okay. um, that are worth mentioning at all, unless you know better than me. I'm not even First looking. one. The first one is The Alchemist, you know, the DJ, record producer, and I feel like he, he's been bizarrely prolific, because didn't he, like, literally just have one we talked about, like, two months ago? Yeah, three months The Alchemist ago? has literally been doing this for decades now. Of course, so. forever. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. older than the sun, but... um, Besides Alfredo, like, he was just on, like, this joint thing, right? Like, I'm not crazy about that? Uh, Yeah, no, he was just on... Lee James or something? Yeah, he. I yeah, I swear we just talked yeah, about Boldy him. James, Bo Jackson. Yeah. Um, that came out this year, and he had this like instrumental thing called Rapper's Best Friend. Anyway, so he's got a new thing called This Thing of Ours Volume Two. So I assume whoever was on This Thing of Ours Volume One. Yes, I'm trying I to mean, look it up. Yeah, maybe. Totally, totally possible. I'm gonna kill this dead air. Boop nope. boop boop to do. Oh, this thing of ours came out in 2021 as well. Boom. Man's it was just uh, some it. random instrumentals, uh, an Earl Sweatshirt one, a Boldy James one, and Pink Sifu. Yeah. I don't Okay. Yeah. You know, I don't I mean, I sort of, you know, I know of so the band. He's got a couple songs I like. So I guess it's another small, like, EP to album thing. Um. Anyway, the other one, the big one, James Blake. Friends That Break Your Heart, finally. finally coming out. Yeah, that fifth studio album. We've talked about it already. You get that pointillism um, album art, some like Dead Dude. Is it was supposed to come out place. a month ago or a month and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. It was initially September 10th, I think, but it got postponed because uh, it was actually stupid. Like the physical production, I think it was like both vinyls and like cds because i guess cds are back in favor for all of you listening who still buy cds go fuck yourself like you're worse than the album or the you know actual record buying people well maybe it's the same people like cds have become so retro that you're you're it was the same people wave 
is the same people as the first wave. Mm. People saw that people are buying records as like an investment and as like a actual sound quality thing, and people were like. I was just doing it because it looked cool. Now I gotta fucking get CDs, and then we're gonna go back to mixtapes. Then people are just gonna carry around boomboxes. It's yeah. gonna be a whole thing, or cassettes. I said mixtapes. That's cringe. Whatever. Um. Anyway, it was all because of physical production delays real related to COVID. So it's coming out. I don't think there's gonna be another delay because, assumingly, they picked the right date because they knew that they would be back on schedule. But who knows? Um. So those are pretty much the only two um worth mentioning. So we're gonna leave that there. All right. Uh, what'd you do in the last couple of weeks that you want to share? Because I have nothing really, so I'm gonna let you take it. All right. Well, uh, there is that new Reggie Smino song "Avalanche." Um, I put it on our playlist. I don't know if you listen to it or I don't not. Know if I listen to it. Um, it's good. It is good. I think one everything Smino touches is gold. So true. Thank God for Smino. Um. But also he had that Sid song. Did you listen to that one yeah, a couple I weeks did. ago? Yeah, I did listen. That okay. was good. That was good. I like that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and I think this one's maybe not equally as good because it's not quite as unique because obviously Sid being on something just makes something stand out a little bit. One, female. Two, Reggie kind of sounds like Smino. I think he's also in the Zero Fatigue gang, if I'm not mistaken. So it's all like, a, you know what I mean? There, there, There's going to be some overlap there. Um that being said, that's kind of all the music. Um, like, there was a Jeremy Zucker song that came out that was, like, leaked from his new album that's coming out or has just released over the weekend that I haven't yet listened to. Um, yeah, that's exactly what happened. It released on Friday, so I just haven't listened to it yet. But, um, and, like, not a ton of music news. Now, what I do want to talk about, and I'm not sure if you've watched it, and I can't comment yet on the new season, so maybe we can double back as I introduce this thought and probe you a little bit as to watching the show. Sex Education. I have you watched it? I have not. I've heard okay I, things. I think it's really good. Um, and I liked it years ago when it first came out. Um, but I'm only now re-watching it to catch back up for season three that just released. Has that uh, uh, also I'm, Butterfield, right? Yes. Yes, it does. Um, and I only just learned, did you know that him and Tom Holland were the, like, final two for Spider-Man? Sure. You know, uh, now that you say that, sure. Yeah, why not? He totally could do the nerdy Peter Parker. But isn't that, like, funny? Like, I just, I mean, yes, it's sure, but I was just like, huh. It makes sense is all. Like, it's unsurprising. Right, I guess just in my mind, I see him more as a sex education kid who's like, yes, Peter Parker's a, like kind of a dweeby, nerdy guy, but not like a loser. And like right. his sex education character is like a loser. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was he was Ender, dude. Ender's game, so. <laughs> he was also Hugo. The... Yeah, we don't talk about Hugo in this podcast, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to talk about Hugo. Anyway, um, unfortunately... There's a there's a a small bit of watching a movie, but really I've not watched much of anything. So this will be the last kind of thing I talk about. Um, do you remember the movie Strangers or The Strangers? Maybe like the, the horror. horror? Movie? Yeah, With the, were they the like cloth masks? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I started that movie, oh. and uh, a certain person who won't be name dropped for outing them on the podcast got way too scared like 25 minutes in that i had to turn it off and i was like 
this movie... I mean, don't get me wrong. Is it scary? Yes, but, like, I don't know. Also, it's it does my biggest pet peeve of it opens with a, this is based on real events. Yeah, yeah. Hate that. But it is not based on real events. It's based like, around real events. Like, it's just based on people being murdered in their home. Yes. Period. Mm-hmm. It's an amalgamation of like twenty stories, you know. Like yeah. that's not an, that's not based on anything. That's just a unique idea at that point. <laughs> it's like when uh, the, uh, was it? It might be like Hills Have Eyes tried doing that too. And it's like, all right, guys, yeah, people have died up in the boonies, but really, <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, you know, I I remember that movie not being the worst horror movie in the world. I mean, it's a horror no, movie, I- so. There's some. It's not bad thus far. But I distinctly remember that movie being uh, falls victim to the whole this character is making some pretty dumb decisions thing uh, near the end, I believe. And yeah, I mean, it's not bad. There was a pretty sure there's a shitty sequel that came out two or three years ago. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, Is that all you did? Unfortunately, Unfortunately, that's all I got, I think. Uh, you know, I'm just now remembering something. I watched, I think it's an HBO Max miniseries. It's called The People vs. the KKK. And it is just about, uh, legal battles, uh, that, you know, involve the KKK and stuff and how it doesn't really turn out that well for the good guys in the end. Um, and it's something else. It's it's kind of draining. It's It's very draining to just watch that but i will say it's pretty good it's well put together it it does seem like it's kind of a scattershot like it it can't hone in well it just kind of covers multiple things and it goes back to a thing then it covers another thing and it is its direction is a little weird but it's it's not bad it's not bad but uh yeah i I don't really have much i got i got two more small things i just remember first one uh on the monk rewatching scheme. Nice. What an excellent, amazing show still that good. I would recommend to everybody. A hundred percent still good. The like the early two thousands. Oh, I don't know if this TV show is going to make it, so let's just like give them the nineties TV budget and like we'll still shoot on film and all this like shit. Um, somehow enhances the first season, mm. like. It is like it seems so old, and so for all the things they do and all like of Tony Shalhoub's like greatness and his acting skills, it's such a good like so 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 good. It, it, um, it's like House, the first season where everything's more yellowy and no yes. LEDs. Yeah. Yes, uh, and then second season thus far, good. Mm, is it great? I don't know. You're kind of gotten all the gimmicks, and so you have to wait till like he kind of gets a new nurse, and the writers really start to play those like little character threads that kind of linger. Like you know, like you find out a little bit more about Monk's wife, and you find out a little bit more about the detectives, and again, the nurse's family. They go through like four different. I don't know if you remember any characters, but like his first nurse is Sharona, oh. and Sharona has a son named Benji. And in the first season, plus the first, like, four episodes of season two, they go through three different Benjis. Like, the actor changes oh, the three actor. times. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Is it a kid actor? Yes. And oh, it's okay. like, 
very obvious that the kid is a different kid, but they keep calling him Benji. And I was like thrown away both times that they switched. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, good show out of 10. Um, the other thing I was going to mention was, I don't know if you've seen the ads, and I have not actually watched it, so it's not more of a discussion of what I watched, but I just want to pitch it as a, is this how we're doing things now? This is like one of these, like, imagine like Lemonade um, Beyonce thing of, it's like a marketing for the album, but it's like its own unique visual thing. But now Rihanna's upped it because it's a Fenty fashion show on top of being this like musical dance video shoot. God, I respect the shit out of her ability to grind yeah. and like that that uh that perseverance to make money, but that sounds like absolute just uh terrible. Just it sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. Also on a related note, one of my friends on Instagram put uh like uh tell me your controversial takes kind of thing. And the one that I sympathized with the most was Rihanna's not that hot. And I'll say it now. I'll say it for all the viewers. We don't need she's this on the hot. podcast. She's not, she's not that hot. We don't need this hot take on the podcast. <laughs> Listen, we have plenty of other hot takes without you throwing in wrong ones every now and then. It's okay, John. It's okay. All right. <laughs> we don't need it. But yeah, so it's on It's on Amazon Prime. It's like the Savage X Fenty Show is what it's called. Mm. But... It's just a, it's a fashion show, but it's also her music and it's also dancing and it's also like cultural stuff. I don't, it's just weird, but I was like, I don't know that I can force myself to watch this, but good on her, you know, and it's got like Nas, it's got like Daddy Yankee. So it's like real music as well. It's not just like her singing in the background to a fashion show. It's like, they're like real music videos and real dance numbers. Tied into like everyone wearing Fenty drip. <laughs> sure, I mean, hey, oh yeah, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know. Uh, I don't know either. Like I don't an know okay either. idea. It, well, okay, it sounds like a good idea to make money, but does it strike me as something I'd rather watch other than other things? No, not at all. Uh, you know what? I, I just found out yeah. by clicking on it. This what? is the third time she's done this. Oh wow! Boom. So, yeah, she's so you know it's it. successful. Yeah, the first one was in 2019. It had Halsey and DJ Khaled. Second one had Travis Scott and Rosalia, and now this one's got Daddy Yankee and Nas. Wow. Uh, yeah, I don't know about this whole experience movie thing. Um, what we really need is like a Smithsonian experience movie. That's what we really need. Get you know, like museums and stuff. But uh, uh, you know, more power to creatives and creators for doing what they feel like doing but no that doesn't sound like good tv to me i agree uh we'll move on to the reviews yeah what do you want to do first you know i realized we didn't talk about what we wanted to do first before this um, yeah, in the pre-show dialogue there hmm, in the patreon uh, exclusive uh pre-show dialogue i could probably <laughs> talk about a beginner's mind less than my son, but that's just me because music versus Same. albums. Same. So we'll start with The Beginner's Mind by Sufjan Stevens and Angelo D'Augustine. Uh, you want to start off? You want to start off? Sure. Yeah. So I am only tangentially familiar with Sufjan. Um, I've not ever listened to a full one of his albums, 
However, Call Me By Your Name, a movie I loathe, did have two great songs. I mean, a whole album, really, and um, what's the term? Uh, soundtrack created by him for that movie, but two great songs off of that, specifically Visions of Gideon and uh, Mystery of Love that I like. And it's one of my best friends, like, or at least one of my best friends, one of their favorite musicians, Sufjan is. Mm -hmm. So I know of him. I understand what he's about, and he's very Christian, and that's cool. Very, very. But musically, he's very, very gifted. So yes. I can kind of retreat from the Christianity aspect of a lot of the lyricism to just <laughs> kind of enjoy some of the music. That being said, I thought this album was pretty good, mm -hmm. but it did linger a little long. And for like a 40-minute album that's saying something, because if you want like these very like melodic, beautiful, angelic kind Haunting. of guitar-y, harm... Uh, harpy Sufjani Christian songs you're gonna love this fucking Absolutely album love it yeah if you can understand what this whole album's gonna be after the first song you probably aren't gonna like this album and so I was kind of in the middle because I did enjoy it it was nice like background music after every couple songs and then but once in a while one would grab me so the intro song I really liked reach out because mm -hmm. right when I heard it I went oh this is beautiful and this is cool. And then, like, the next five songs, I was like, uh, I get it. Nothing's grabbing me. This is the thing I thought was, like, the next one that really caught my ear. Really? Yeah. Um, okay. And honestly, outside of those two, none of the other ones really struck a chord with me. Um, there, None of the I, – I don't think any of them were bad, except for maybe, like, Lady Macbeth and Chains. I really didn't like that one that much. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, keep going. I'll, I'll explain. Yeah, keep going. But I think everything else, for the most part, sounded similar to the two I named, but those two that I named were, for whatever reasons, my favorite. Like, it's hard to put a real pin on it, because having only listened to it twice, even, like, the the differences are actually still pretty subtle, because these two men, their voices harmonize really well together. Very well. Maybe too well. But it's almost, exactly, but it's almost too complimentary where you get lost as to whose voice is whose at times mm -hmm. or, like, what one is contributing versus the other and how one song might differ from the other outside of the lyrical content. I can completely understand that the lyrical content in terms of, like, literally the words that they're saying and not necessarily the themes or motifs change. But, like, if you're just picking up, like, phrases and thus only picking up themes and motifs, the odds that you really understand where one song ends and one song begins, I mean, if you're not actively looking at it, you might not re recognize. Although there was one song, and I forgot to write it down, where the ending was, like, a record scratch or something for some reason, and it was, like, the transition was awful into the next song, but I forgot to write that down. I think it was maybe, like, Back to Oz and Pillar of Souls or Pillar of Souls and You Give Death a Bad Name. But it was like it was grading for some reason. I don't know why. But yeah, that's the brief rundown. Uh, yeah, uh, very brief, <laughs> super brief. Uh, I'll just build on to literally everything you said because I, I mean I think you really encapsulated how I feel. Um, I will say my first note, which is hilarious. I said any song could be your favorite song because these songs aren't there. The diversity is really lacking. There's nothing. 
like you were saying, there's there's it's so hard to pick these songs out of a lineup from each other after you're listening to 40 minutes of it. That yeah, any song could be your favorite and any song could be your least favorite. That's that's my theory for this album. Uh, it's thematic as fuck. They're just uh, all the Christian undertones and all those lines and stuff. Uh, I don't even know what he's talking about half the time, but then when you hear biblical reference and it just, Oh yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. I remember, you know, I know this is Sufjan Stevens. Um, I, I I'll say the songwriting is very strong. You know, there's, there's probably a tons of subtext that I just missed even after listening to it a few times. And that's usually only a good thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do think it got better after multiple re-listens, but I don't know if that's a, you know, a really that big of a positive or it's just, you know, I'm more used to this album. It didn't get great after, you know, a couple of re-listens. It just got better. So I take that as you will. But I, what I laughed at earlier is that Lady Macbeth and Chains is on my positives. And this is the thing is my negative, my one negative. <laughs> so I, I really think that's the any song could be your favorite any song could be your least favorite and that's, that's yes funny yeah yes the the music is sonically sound and you know it, it's it's good music but there's just it's hard to separate a lot of these tracks from each other and especially with a like you were saying the similar themes and all these motifs it it's it's really just hard to pick out uh which song is which um uh, you know, I, I I think it's a good album. Like it's it's okay to good, but it's nothing. It's not blowing your ears off. It's not going to be the next best album. It's not album of the year, but it is a suitable album for what it's trying to do. Um, I don't. I I think you summed up my review pretty well to the point that I really don't have to keep talking. Honestly, uh, you you kind of nailed some of my notes. So like, uh, what score you want to give it? I would say I'm inclined to give this somewhere between like a five and a seven. Yeah, anywhere I, in that range, I could think it's fine. I think seven might be a touch high. I think five might be a touch low. So I'm okay with a six. I I had but, a six five at first, and it moved to a seven. But again, that's after after realism. So I don't know if that's actually positive. So we can give it a six five. I think that's six, totally five, fair. Yeah, that's fine by me. Yeah, um, like, if you really like Sufjan Stevens, and I assume this sounds like Angelo D'Augustine's other music, I, I don't know him at all. So if you like these two guys, I'm sure you'll absolutely adore this album. But if you're just listening to music to listen to music, this it's nothing crazy. It's good. It's all right. But mm, you can move on with your life after it. So 6-5 from the worst critics. Move on to the Peacock original starring James McAvoy, My Son. I... Don't have a director on that because I never remember to write down the director. If we could get that in turn. Yeah, it's uh Christian Carrion. Christian uh, Carrion. Okay. So I will start this off. This. I really want to know how the whole don't tell James McAvoy what he's going to say. How that all works, how that situation works, you know, because I, you know, I buy that, you know, I, I believe that he can improv a lot of the lines, but how does directing work if the man doesn't have a script, you know, how's he supposed to move to different spots on the, on the set? How's he supposed to, you know, uh, his cues, how's he supposed to, to read his people. cues? 
Right, but like camera work doesn't work that way, you know? It, it, they couldn't do one take for every scene. There's there's absolutely no way that all of these well, of course, are the first. I'm sure he learned from each scene, right? Like or each reshoot. Yeah, so so it makes the whole oh he didn't get a script really weird for me because there's you know it, it's not like it was off the dome every time. It, it, I'm sure it might have been. I'm sure a lot of what well, he said was, think, but was there any scenes that you think? missing his mark would have mattered outside of seeing him on camera better oh not really not really no it was it was just more the the logistics of how you would shoot that and there's no way that these are all first takes that's well like that's well, well i can well i mean not i don't think all of them were first takes but i, I could see each of these being done when with two or three takes mm -hmm. um the one scene that i was thinking of particularly like this is definitely one take and that they pre-thought of it was like the first time he's that we see him talking to the wife's the ex-wife's boyfriend and he beats the shit out of him mm. they start drinking whiskey and there's like a couple of these like over the shoulder shots but they switch it to like a a hemi section of the house and you watch them go from one room the camera pans out and then you just scoot over as they walk into the other room and then he beats the shit out of him and all that happens in like two or three minutes but it's all one continuous flow of the camera work and it was all about the camera being zoomed out moving with them as they walk and then zooming in um and i think after that i wasn't really cognizant of it but i think most of the shots were like that or you know they were like oh hey like you know, this is the bad guy's car. Like, what do you want to do? And he like, you know, just deflates the tire, you know, <laughs> like, right. and you don't really need to reshoot that because it doesn't really matter what he does. Like, obviously he's going to encumber them in some way, even if it's silliness, you know, like, oh, he stuck a nail behind the tire. They start backing up and then poof, do you hear the flat go? Either way, it would it work? I, you know, I, I'm just really curious about this whole situation. I would love a behind the scenes featurette or what, what have you. Uh, now to the actual review of the actual movie, I will say it, it feels modern, you know, modern enough, at least maybe, maybe not the sleekest and not the most modern, but it, it definitely feels like it, you know, came out in the last few years without feeling dated or any such, such thing like that. Uh, I, the mystery of it all is, it's kind of nice in a way. It, it it's kind of obvious that the mystery is not about a character you know, and that I think that's nice. It kind of puts a relief on it, so you're not just guessing every second. You're not, oh, who's that red herring? Who's that? You know, uh, you know what I'm saying? Oh, it's actually the stepdad. What have you? And so the mystery being almost in the forefront, or at least the hidden answer being in the forefront, is kind of nice and lends itself to a mystery movie without feeling stale or anything like that uh it i like it's kind of it's almost a revenge movie but not you know it it, it does do that thing where it kind of it kind of references taken i would say where you know he calls them on the phone and they're like yeah fuck yourself and they hang up or whatever right. uh, i really liked when they did that and established that it wasn't just a classic revenge movie or you know just a guy on going postal against people who kidnapped his kid, you know, taken. Uh, 
And it's kind of nice that they're a little tongue in cheek with that. And they're at least self-aware enough to do that. Uh, I will say the twists and turns were a little generic, a little just obvious. I would say, uh, it seems like, you know, anyone, not, not anyone, but it seems like any professional screenwriter could have probably written a lot of these scenes. But I think that goes back to the whole James McAvoy improving some lines and that I think that worked really well some of the time, you know, uh, I, I, I think it almost blew my mind because it, it's crazy to just, you know, think of dialogue without actually having a screenplay. So it's crazy that he was able to do some of that. But at the same time, some of the dialogue were just a little weird, like the very beginning felt very awkward. I think that's when you would you could notice the improv completely, 100%. Uh, when he's first talking to the officer, you can tell James McAvoy is waiting for the man to talk. And so that's a little... I don't know if it takes away from the whole experience, but it's, it's, it's weird. And it's, it's weird in the fact that I'm even discussing this like opposite, or not opposite, but separate aspect of the movie that really isn't a right. part of the movie, you know? Well, so that's and kind that's of what weird. I was going to say. So there's two comments, maybe three, based on the things you've just said. Mm-hmm. The first is, and this is more like meta cinematographic kind of comment, because of how awkward the first couple of scenes were with his dialogue, everyone's dialogue, because no one knew what he was going to say, right. right? And he didn't know what he was going to have to do or say. That... This had to have been shot chronologically, which is not how movies are shot. That's true. That's movies true. are yeah. shot based on where you can afford to rent the space to shoot the scenes that you need to shoot. Like if you have to go to China for only two scenes, you might go to China first because that's going to be your biggest budget expense. Figure out how much money you have left and then cut back on certain things that you might do back stateside. This movie, even though it all takes place here in you know, whatever the fucking highlands. You have to go chronologically because otherwise it defeats the purpose of not the script if he knows how the story plays out at the end. Right. You know? For sure. Uh, so one, that's interesting. And two, it did make it weird in the first part. The other comment I wanted to make, and I'm not sure if you felt this way. I agree with you that it's very um, kind of classic thriller, lost child kidnapping thing of like it's a little tropey. There's a little bit of like obvious next turns Mm -hmm. but it did keep the suspense up only because we all know as little as he does like we're true in the eye of the beholder kind of viewers as opposed to like we've seen things that have happened like even sometimes they do like those little like you know like in a crime show where they show you the crime in the first scene and so even though you don't know who did it really you know that they're you know fucking like scandinavian you know what i mean like you just know some characteristics about them and in this you're just as blind as he is also you don't really even know much about the kid and you're even actually perhaps more blind than he is because he at least knows his son a little bit right right yeah the comparison i was going to make is do you remember prisoners that we watched Uh uh-huh my thought was like i feel like taken is like the most extreme version of the prisoner's mindset. But um, Hugh Jackman's character in Prisoners, I still think, like, 
goes AWOL ballistic crazy. And this guy does the same thing. And I'm like, I get it. I don't have kids. Maybe that's how parents would act, I'm sure. But, like, to me, it still seems so far-fetched that, like, you would lose your mind that much that you would just start, like, kidnapping people, torturing people, beating up people who, like, literally did nothing wrong or or aren't that suspect. Like, how delusional do you get? You know, I don't what know I mean, man, like, it's believable to you. I yeah, I mean, I I I mean, I I think it's believable. Maybe it's n- not every situation where this happens occurs like that. But I would say there are a ton of people who would uh, maybe not sympathize. Uh, is empathize the word I'm looking for here? Uh, whatever they i think they would relate to that situation i mean i it probably it probably takes a toll on you to witness that or to know certain facts about your kid's disappearance um uh you know it's weird you know i i guess the comparison to prisoners kind of makes sense i didn't really put it together until you just said it but I'll say I kind of like this mystery way more than prisoners. I'm just going to be outright and say that. I think this is more fun. That's exactly why I brought it up is I was like, this is almost a similar movie minus the detective playing a part, really. Mm, You know? Yeah, Detective Loki. Yeah, that's the only piece that's really missing from this is you don't really get the cop's perspective. I Also, I guess it, it made it more believable that he would be confused how sinister did you feel like things turned in terms of like the government when the sheriff or whoever the inspector was like oh i was told to fuck off by london so good luck you know like i felt like that seemed like some shit with his job or he's part of some big conspiracy he's being framed but then it was like oh no they all they just knew about the kitty porn ring yeah, it, 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 I mean, it, it definitely felt more of a thing to enhance James McAvoy's possible script than an actual event in a solid movie or, you know, or an actual screenplay event. Uh, so I definitely agree that that twist or that turn uh, was really weird and just kind of out of left field. But at the same time, I guess if that were to happen, it would be out of left field, you know, I, I, I That's guess... exactly, I'm like, I, every issue I have with the movie could also be used in argument of its benefit. I will say, did you notice when you were watching it on Peacock that it has like a rating next to it? No, I didn't know. Uh-uh. When like you're in the player, right. And like, right. you're not full screened next to the PG 13 rating is a negative or not a negative. Well, uh, it's poorly reviewed. It's a 35%, like almost like a Rotten Tomato score is what I'm imagining, and it's got like a trash can next to it. And I'm like, this movie wasn't that bad, was it? Was like, it? I don't think this movie was bad. Honestly, like, period. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. argue that this I agree. movie is not bad, period. Um, yeah. I, I think it's, this is off topic, but I think it's weird that they would put that score anyways, because, yes, yeah, who's I get, helping? yeah, I guess that's useful, but why would you just poop on your own stuff, guys? <laughs> you know, if you're trying to get people to subscribe to Peacock, why are you going to remind audiences that the general audience might have not liked your movie? I don't, and then even if the general audience liked your movie, who the fuck cares? I'm not going to watch a movie right, just why, because. That's why Netflix's thumbs up, thumbs down works, mm-hmm. is because it's about 
user preferences. So users like you did like this too. And, and Netflix know? literally realized this problem because they, they used to have the star system. They and once upon a time they straight up had a review star system, but then obviously they turned it into the thumbs up and thumbs down to solve this exact problem that we're having right now. Uh, I'm gonna go back to the movie for a second though and talk about I really love the score. I thought the score of this movie is really solid. Uh, it, it felt very classic thriller score and not in a not in a campy too homage sort of way. I think it, it nailed that feel and every scene that was complimented by the score or sorry, every scene was complimented by the score and wasn't hindered at all from it. And I just want to shout out whoever did the music. Cause that was actually really good. Um, I, I'll, I'll, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll real say quick. Yep. that is the rotten tomatoes score because it is the rotten tomatoes trash can. Great. Yeah. So I they just have it linked for some reason. That seems worse. That seems worse yeah. than just a peacock score. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. agree. Because now it's more objective. Uh, you know uh, what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I will say, last few notes, I, I think the direction was pretty sharp for what it was. I, I You know, I assume that they did have a lot of troubles with the logistics of this whole situation. But I think the direction was sharp. You know, it was good enough. I, did the movie have like a nice winter feeling to you? Was that just me? I just had a very. I feel like it, it was cold. just very like a rainy kind of like United Kingdom vibe. Yeah, I, don't but know I was that able it was to winter. capture that vibe. You know what I'm saying? It was. I think they were there. Uh, it's hard to like, it's hard to miss a vibe if you're inside of it. You know. What I, I mean? don't know, man. I don't know. I I well, I what I'm saying is I feel like that was very deliberate. You know, they were they meant to capture that rainy dreariness they it was on purpose is all i mean I it definitely thinking. added to the ambiance of the whole thing for sure but uh i don't know i like this movie i don't think it's bad so no I, I thought it was fine i i i was engaged the whole time there were moments where i was actually like completely immersed in it and yep. not like realizing anything else i was doing not like noticing my breath or myself in the chair you know what i mean like so in all those regards it was fine i just the this style of movie and we've said it already here before but i'll just mention again if you've watched taken if you've watched prisoners you've seen this movie as well so i go it can only be so good like if you love that genre and if you like this nuanced difference of the actor has no clue what's going on so you get a slightly unique perspective but it's slight okay it's not yeah. this is not revolutionary and honestly my biggest qualm with the movie is the last third I think we might start going not super spoiler friendly here, but I don't know. I was just, he one kind of just like randomly finds the kid. You know what I mean? Like it took torturing one person's foot mm -hmm. to find your son, mm -hmm. you know? And then an untrained father who like works on oil yeah. fields yeah, is going to like, at least in taken the believability that can be like reined in a little bit because he's like, some like ex CIA like yeah, super Manzley, cop, literally a badass. Yeah, yeah. And this guy's like a dad who takes on two gun armed gunmen in a society where guns are like super duper illegal and hard to obtain. I just go, Meh. I and will... then he gets shot, drives a car, and the first person to encounter them is the police officer that you called. Like, 
how did he see your car in the ditch? You know, I'm just like, there's a lot of, I go, "Eh, it's fine. You know what I mean? But it's a lot of RNG that went right. (laughs) I do agree with the whole he's a regular dad, but I want to say the movie kind of addressed that because the scene where he sets up a trap and he's waiting at the door and then guy walks away, you know, like, so like there's, it kind of shows that this guy is not trained at all, but he does, you know, get out of it. Well, okay. Okay. Before the end, he does get out of it. scot free and saves his son. Yada, yada. So that is a little unrealistic, but I do want to say, I think they were self-aware enough that they kind of tackled that complaint a little bit. Maybe not a hundred percent, a little bit, a little bit, but they knew that would be a complaint. So I, so I, you know, I can appreciate that. Um, Last few things, last few notes. Is this like freestyling for rappers? Yes. Yes? Okay. Well, I want to see more actors try to do this. I I don't know how it would work. I don't think, I don't think the economics works for this because you're sacrificing a little bit of the plot. Actually, you're sacrificing a lot of the plot and a lot of the script just to give an actor you You need someone like a Bradley Cooper like a Denzel Washington, like a George Clooney, people who maybe aren't the best actors in the world, although I'm sure a lot of people will be like, they're the greatest. Yeah, 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 yeah. What they are is they're like multi, Donald Glover, like what they are is they're the multi-hyphenates who have such diverse experiences and knowledge in all of the roles of movie making that they would know from both a writer's perspective or from all of a writer's perspective, a director's perspective and an actor's perspective, what would be needed in a scene. James McAvoy, great actor, better than any of the other people I named, in my opinion. Yeah. hundred percent. Especially after and, this what, movie, yeah. and what he does is still pretty lackluster because it, it, what he doesn't have is he doesn't, he's not actors aren't meant to be creatives. They're meant to be emotive. They're meant right. to be great impersonators. And so it's hard to impersonate someone if you also have to create that person on the spot, on the fly. If you get months to think and percolate and develop a backstory and figure out what's going on and know the future as a writer would, it's different. But in this particular circumstance where you go in blind, it really takes like a very, very creative writer and actor to do it well. And obviously he's just not that, so... I think it would be good to have more movies like this in the future, but not like a lot. I think like one a year with yeah. a much more, again, Donald Glovery, George Clooney, Denzel Washington, Bradley Cooper type. Um, Matthew McConaughey. Sure. Uh, sure. I mean, any big name actor, really, if you want. If you want to. No, but, you know. but, no but I'm trying to name people with directing experience or writing experience that's credible. Not just like anyone who, like, I don't go Dax Shepard. You know what I mean? And Dax Shepard's both written and directed a movie and acted. And he's not a bad actor, but... And no, I don't think anyone would call him a great actor, but you know what I mean? Like, meh. I will say, though, with my comparison to freestyling, I'd still love to see it, you know? Like, I'd still love to well, see no, Dax Shepard well, I don't like watching dumpster fires. I don't like watching But it might not fires. be, you know? Like, what if Dax Shepard's an amazing improv actor? Like, there's just... I, I really love this idea. I just don't see studios clamoring to spend money on these types of projects. Well, in a lot of ways, I mean, a good comedy movie is that, right? Like, yep. one of the greatest things about all those Judd Apatow movies with 
Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill, James Franco, and you can name all, you know, six of them that were back to back to back from Superbad all the way through Sausage Party, were a lot of it was not script. It was riffing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, uh, what was the one? This is the end. A lot of people didn't like that movie. Who didn't like that movie? The movie was great. Oh, a lot of people. Like, I think like critics painted it. I don't think it made that well, much money in the box office relative to the others. But people who like that style of comedy, you know, it's really raunchy. It's really direct. It's really blunt. It's very childish. It's potty humor. Um, like, those guys are just all friends and buddies, and so they riff. And so you don't need a script. You know what I mean? So it's interesting that they do it in a drama is the difference, right? Like, right. But that takes a certain caliber of actor that I don't think you're going to hit a lot of success with. You know, that batting percentage is pretty low. Yeah. If anything, you'd probably be better off with like theater actors or something because, you know, they're used Mm -hmm. to maybe live mess ups and live changes. So that would probably lend itself more to it. Um, I, you know, I don't I don't have any other. I don't have any. I don't think I have any other notes uh, other than that. I I do want to say. Yep. James McAvoy's insane. James McAvoy's an amazing actor. Even if his script wasn't amazing, he was still amazing trying to pull it off. Um, I I will never not watch a James McAvoy project, okay? It's just not going to happen. I refuse. Uh, uh, last thing, if another son in a movie or TV show is named Ethan... I'm going to die. Like there's just, I, there's so many missing kids and the cop son and the hero son named Ethan. It's crazy. And I just, if you're out there and you're named Ethan, uh, just put your earmuffs on now. It means that you're stupid. If you're named (laughs) Ethan, you're just dumb is what it means. Yeah. You get (laughs) kidnapped. Yeah. You just get kidnapped. You know, you asked for it basically by being named that. Uh, yeah. What, what score you want to give it? I will um, I, I I will preface the score by saying it's like a comedy in that doing what it does I think it's really solid but I, yeah the 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 nature of the like unique background stuff yes overrides a lot of the actual movie stuff for me so I'm gonna say like seven five for this seven five's totally fine with me yeah I had seven five even maybe an eight you could talk me up to an eight but seven five yeah, I, I could have been, totally I could have been talked to an eight honestly too yeah whatever like, we but, both thought seven yeah, five yeah uh, so I'm happy with seven five yeah, very solid well not very but a solid as movie yeah solid, solid. movie worth watching yep. worth discussing yep and just James very McAvoy. very unique very, like, you know what let's go wait let's go wait because james mcavoy's that extra half point okay. yeah hell wait. yeah i'll give james <laughs> mcavoy an eight out of ten that's it yeah. you heard it here first my son getting an eight out of ten from the worst critics that will actually be episode 48 of the worst critics we will see you this coming friday with our reviews of hbo max's mini saints of newark and meat mill's new album expensive pain That's been this week's episode of The Worst Critics. As always, I'm Noah Davis. I'm John Pino. And we're out of here.